This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Chris, and my brother, Nick. We're pressing pause this week due to some unexpected circumstances. Sorry about that. Since we're not recording, we're republishing an old episode that we enjoyed making, both because of its timeliness and because of the fantastic guest that we were able to feature. Medical Match Day in the U.S. is coming up on March 15th, 2024. As those who have been with us a while are aware, the process is a quasi-barbaric dating game of medical schools and hopeful young physicians going the rounds, courting each other, trying to land the best talent or the best gig. The system is archaic, difficult to understand, maddening to navigate, and utterly baffling to an outsider. Yet, it's a core part of the American medical system, and it's another testament to how the gamification of everything may not be, strictly speaking, for the best. And while we're on pause... We just want to take a second to say that we appreciate you, Player 3, for sticking with us and increasingly for making your voice heard. We've been lucky to get more emails, comments, and DMs about the episodes here in the last several weeks and months, and we're thrilled to know that you're taking just as much interest in the same cool game theory stuff that we are. Now here's a throwback to Medical Match Day, featuring the peerless Dr. Kim. Welcome to episode 26 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. have a big episode today. We're going to combine a, a got a guy with a WTF. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Medical match day, depending on when you're listening to this, has probably already happened. So we're going to talk about that. But Chris, first, we've got some business to take care of. It was just a little over one year ago that we dropped the trailer for this particular program. So we're celebrating sort of our one-year anniversary on an episode 26. That means we have lazily made it to one every other week. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Uh, that's about my completion rate for responsibilities in my own workplace. So, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about the state of the uh, the state of the show. Yeah, we circle back about <laughs> twice a month and that's that's how we do. It. We we have long promised to go more regularly and we'll go more regularly and of course we're going to make that like most I've often Americans, promised to go more regularly. We're going to make that's the level tonight. You Grant. know there's uh, multiple medications you can take for that. Multiple medications. And speaking of that you would know that if for those of you not watching that's my wife, Dr. Kimberly Linden and she's wearing her Match Day t-shirt that she got on Match Day 2015. 2015 when she matched into general surgery. And that's what we're talking about today, Chris is the match system. So if you don't know, I don't. you haven't watched Grey's Anatomy, which you haven't. I haven't. They don't talk about the match on Grey's Anatomy. They don't? Well, that... Do they talk about it on Scrubs at all? I've seen I'm Scrubs. Sh- uh, I bet they allude to it. I but... think they allude to it because yeah. they talk about the new interns, but they don't know. I don't think any don't medical think they drama talks it. about the match. So, so just like in professional sports, there is a system to get recruits to the professional level. And that system in... North American pro sports is a draft. In medicine, it's a match. So here's what the match is. You go on a bunch of interviews to places you'd like to work to do your second round of training, and then you come home, and then you rank them how much you like them, and then hopefully you get one that also likes you back, and then you go there. So it's basically just Tinder for doctors. But it's worse than that because there are a lot of different ways to game the system and there are a lot of weird discriminatory things that happen and there's predatory shit that goes on. So let's go back to the beginning. And let's talk about how very, the very beginning from the dawn of time. So the first thing that happened is that I forget the guy's name. Stephen Halstead was a drug addict and he created medical training in America. He's the reason we have the best doctors and nurses in the world is because he was like, let's just work him to death and let's make them the all drugs. Well, at least for surgical residency. So yes. granted, my take is from surgical residency, but Halstead was the creator of the original re- surgical residency which was a uh, pyramidal type of model where basically you started, there was a a whole bunch of you that started your first year of training and basically people got cut the entire way up to there was only one chief resident and one graduate a year. So um, you... There was this huge way, and this this lasted pretty progressively for a very long time until it's kind of changed um, throughout the times. Then there was... Someone from Mass Gen who then changed the whole system pretty much to a more similar model to what it is now, right. where it's a rectangular model, so everyone that comes in graduates. Um, 
So it, it was like a weed out, Chris. It was like Survivor. Like, as you were in a residency for training, they'd be like, ah, actually, you're not going to make it to the chief level. You should go figure something else out. That is so rad, yeah. actually. That's like, it's like that scene in The Dark Knight when he's got those three guys in the Literally. room. He breaks the cue stick over his leg and throws it in there and says, good luck. Yep, that's exactly that's exactly how it was. So Halston so was a me, drug addict. Let me take a step even yeah. farther back from the match process because yeah. what I want to know and what I'm never able to articulate is how do you become an actual doctor? Great question. if little Johnny Smithers wants to go be a doctor and, and help people, he's got to do a lot of things first. He's got to go to college, mm-hmm. and then he's got to go to medical school, but yeah. then he's got to do a residency, and he's got to do a fellowship, and he's got to match, and he's got to do this and that. I have no clue how that process works. So, Kim, could you, could you like, break it down for the average non-doctor? Like, what are the basic steps it would take to go from moron to medical professional. Wow, well, well. The jaded or non-jaded version. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd, love, I'd love both. So pretend you're a textbook salesman first and then give me the real skinny. Uh, well, you have to go to college. You have to get a four-year degree. You have to take certain prerequisites. So you do not have to be like a pre-med major to go to medical school. In fact, recently um, they've been focusing away from that. Uh, so you just need to take the prerequisites to get into medical school. And that has been changing. Uh, and that's changed pretty progressively since even I went to medical school. Uh, it used to be just chemistry, biology, um, physics, and some other various Humanities things like are that. Big now. But now they're requiring things like psychology and f- uh, some humanities and some other things like that. And they want more well-rounded um, people because I think the stereotype was doctors had were like kind of on the autistic spectrum and could not talk to patients. And that is not okay, at least in the U.S. system anymore. Um, So they're going to get some normal people who have (laughs) read lots of Chaucer, (laughs) studied the economy. Those are going to be people that are going to face patients. Also, what a waste of four years of college to get... Pre, pre-med is they realize like you didn't even learn a skill in bachelor's so they're, they're, they're recommending people like don't do pre-med they go do a real major yeah uh, and then you have to take the MCAT, which has changed pretty uh, aggressively too since I've taken it. But it includes three major sections, including um, a physical section, which is like mostly physics and chemistry. So it's um, not like a it's not like a, a trial, like a test of of like decathlon events. Maybe, no. yeah, maybe they should. Uh. No, that, we get into that a little bit later. Then it's um, uh, biology, and then there was a writing component to it. Um, and then I think it's changed and it has one other section or they got rid of the writing and then they batted it back in and vice versa. And it's, they've changed the MCAT pretty aggressively. Um, and then, uh, then you have to apply for medical school and you go through interviews and you, the medical school process is not a match process. It is a typical admission to college. So you get multiple admissions or interviews and you choose where you want to go, um, from that standpoint now it is a very uh, selective place Mm. so uh to get into medical school is getting more and more difficult because people are really you know talk about all these like review courses stuff like that mcats are getting more competitive your scores are getting more competitive so they're trying to find ways to uh, weed you out so a lot of them are requiring major essays or the day of interviews, I remember having to write like uh, ethical questions and answering is it like, ethical is it like, questions. Would you feed? Would you steal bread from the supermarket to feed a starving child? <laughs> is it like that? Similar or? stuff like that, and you had to write down significant answers and like be able to explain it and why you chose that and and have a legitimate answer to it at these interviews. And it's it's definitely daunting. They're about a half-day interview um, for the most part, at least. So it, it sounds say. like the test that Herb Brooks had his players take in the 1980 Olympic team, at least in the movie. God damn it, Chris. This is why I need you to cue me in on that. I could have had the clip ready. Like, that would have been... That's, that's, that, yeah, it's, 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 it's the Again. scene where they're in the bar, and they're, just, they're like, you get pulled over for speeding, but you know you're not at fault. Do you state your disagreement right away? 300 of these things. Now, what a great movie. Kim's never seen it. We're going to do that later. No. you kidding me? Oh, yeah. That she's not seen that. Okay. She's All never right. seen well, the movie Friday Night Lights either. To, to those of you listening out there, we promise Kim is a credible professional who knows what she's talking about, even though she has this obvious defect in her life history. Mm, My God. Right. Okay, but sorry. Medical uh, school. She gets into medical school, and then, medical the, com- school, yes. then the communism begins. 
So medical school is two years of classwork and then two years of clinical work. Um, the clinical work is you no longer have like summers or anything like that uh, after your first year of medical school. So it's straight oh. through from the time that you're a second year medical student on. Um, and uh, that's when you do, you know, various times on every, most rotations, core rotations, you have to take tests after each one. So rotations are a month of each specialty, right? A month or two or some variation of that. That's when you flirt, Chris. That's when you date. You date a specialty. Oh, like, oh, oh, do I like psychiatry? It's, it's exciting. Oh. Did, they, did any of the rotations, like, market it that way? They're like, swipe right. They beg. No, they beg. No. They beg hard. They beg hard if they like you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the, I think, think you, so, and you told me these stories before. Where people will like kind of know what they want to go into, so they'll just kind of half-ass the rotation, and you're like, "That's fine." You go sit in the corner and don't fuck anything up. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and like you know, some people like you know, surgical people tend to have a very specific personality. Medicine people have a very specific personality. Not that they don't like overlap, because we're all Type A weird people. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. No. But, uh, they, you know, some people are much more like hands-on, have to do things like. Nick says that my brains, my hands have their own brain. Mm. Um, whereas other people like, like to like. That's good, right? Talk uh, and think. And depends on your proximity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm safely, uh, I, I'm, I'm safe from uh, the tyranny of oppression by the security of. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll put it to you like this. Distance, Just the way that her personality works. Like so she's, a, she's trained to be a surgeon. So that's really good for her. But if she wasn't going to be a surgeon and she wasn't a doctor, she would be really, I think similarly handsy fulfilled as like a hairdresser or like a baker she needs Ooh. to be doing stuff massage therapist perhaps yeah, maybe but they should yeah the people thing so that's a, a, surge, a great surgery joke is that they're so awkward and don't like talking to people but they don't have to because the majority of their patients are incapacitated while they're interacting with them ironically my anesthesia colleagues actually say that they don't have to talk to patients even more so <laughs> yeah they're the world's okay. best drug dealers. I, I had a debate earlier this week i was at a work function and somebody claimed that the way anesthesia works is that it doesn't really numb the pain. It prevents you from remembering it. Is there, that true? Uh, kind of, yes. There are okay, multiple tenets of anesthesia. One is amnesia or the lack of memory of it. And the other is it anesthesia. So, um, yeah, one of the major things, like, oh, Christ. I forgot about the sound effects. It's been a while. Welcome back. Yeah, so anesthesia, well, you were saying am- amnesia, anesthesia. Oh, uh, yeah, amnesia is like one of them. Yeah. Like ketamine is a big proponent of that. You basically forget that you're in pain. Right. You dissociate. Ketamine is, I think, one of the characters on the show Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great show, kind of. It's mostly porn. But um, so this is a great time for me to interject and say that w- w- I always try to do a follow. And if you're in medicine listening to this, you already know who Dr. Glock and Flecken is. But if you're not in medicine and you want to learn anything about what it's really like to be in medicine, this guy nails it on the head. And I actually have a TikTok that we're going to play for from him right now about Match Day. So let's listen to what he's got to say um, about Match Day. Well, this is part two. I want to do part one. Hey, congratulations. You matched into residency. Oh, that's awesome. Which program am I going to? I don't know. <laughs> What do you mean you don't know? Well, I know, but I'm not going to tell you. Why not? Because it's a surprise. I don't want a surprise. I want to know where I'm going for residency. Oh, you'll find out soon enough. How soon? Just four short days. Four days. You have information that will change my life, and you're going to make me wait four days. Yes. Why are you doing this? Surprises are more fun on a Friday. Come here, you're going to tell me right now. No, it's against the law. Is that, so, is that real? Yeah. Yes. So this is, how, <laughs> this is how it happens. You're going to ask that question a lot tonight. <laughs> uh, so on, this has also changed. It wasn't always that. So it used to be that you found out on the same day if you matched and where you matched. But the problem is then, like, you find out with everyone. So you find out at the same time with your whole class if you match, where you match. And if you don't match, you're like, Literally running Tears. out of the room. It's crazy. I will Tears, tell you some stories. Trying to find, uh, like, literally calling programs that have open spots, trying to it's get wild. in there and the back thing. And it, 
it used to be much worse, or like literally on that Friday, like everyone was trying, who didn't match were trying to do that. So it was like chaos. So now what it is, is you find out on Monday via email if you matched. And it says you are no longer available or you're no longer eligible for the SOAP program, S-O-A-P. And I forget what it stands for because it has, I haven't had to deal with this in a long time. But basically, if you match, you're ineligible for that program. That program is basically, they uh, do expedited interviews with programs that have open spots with applicants that didn't match. And it's often not in the field you were going to. So I know of a few people who didn't match in their field that they were trying to go to, like ENT or things like that. And they matched into programs like uh, radiology yeah, or that had open spots. Let's go back a little bit though. And let's talk about flirting and how you get the, yeah. So no, believe me, that look on your face, we will address that. And we're going to talk about soaping and not matching and how the algorithm works in a minute. Could you, could you imagine like you get sick one day, you go to the, I don't know, radiologist or whatever. And they say, yeah, I want it to be an ENT guy. I love ears. I love noses and I love throats, but I got stuck doing this because I couldn't match. Anyway, Get on the exam table. Let's go. Yeah, that's exa- it's literally God. exactly right. So um, they go through all these interview processes. Like, I want to be a dermatologist. And like most people weigh in on like three things. One, what their life will be like. Two, what they have to do with their daily job. And three, like money and career and success. Right. So I think the two I most. I feel like com- those, are, those are some pretty significant things that you listed all as one thing. Money, career and success. Yeah, but those are people that like want to go to academia, want to publish, want to be kind of like famous doctors and like be in the in the shit of it, right? It's like, that's another thing. It's like, that's going to, they're going to prioritize a different kind of thing. So once you do, I think the most competitive, two of the most competitive are like orthopedic surgery and dermatology because of like money and lifestyle. Dermatologists very famously don't have the same amount of risk or hours or kind of stuff as a lot of other people. So many people want it. So you pick out, I want to do dermatology. Then you apply to be a dermatologist and go through training and you get 20 interviews or 10 or whatever you get, depending on test scores and all that other shit. So then, and this is the best part of the story. Then you fly all over the country and you interview them and you kiss their ass and you do that on your own dime. What? (laughs) Are you? I think I spent 10 grand for residency. Mm -hmm. No. And I spent 15 for fellowship. Now, okay, <laughs> in America, in the last several years, decades, in fact, there's been an ongoing discussion about how crazy expensive medical costs are. Mm-hmm. It costs a lot of money to do medicine well. Yeah. I can't help but wonder if the exorbitant cost of being a an aspiring medical professional and needing to compensate for that later in life as a career medical professional somehow contributes to that. The fact that you have to pay thousands of dollars to try to like maybe get an interview somewhere so that you can work for not as much money as like a real doctor. And so funny like, you say that. I mean, I can go on tons of topics on that. Remember, so the, I named <laughs> you personally and that there are people listening to this, but then yeah, go on. Uh, I will. Wow. I'm, no, I'm going to say statistics. So there's actually data to show that uh, physician salaries are not the highest cost in medical costs. Um, oh, okay. Actually, uh, so they're actually very low on the percentage of our healthcare costs. That's really interesting because that's always like like right, if you run any other kind of business, that's like the by far the biggest cost yeah. is the human capital. I, th- I think the last statistic, and granted, I could be way off on this, but I think it's under 10% is physician salaries. Wow. Yeah. Um, to to the, the cost of the whole healthcare cost. Um, and I will say the other statistic related to medical um, training is the average medical student comes out with more than $250,000 in debt. <laughs> like, average. Is average. <laughs> average. Is that like American dollars? Yeah. So think about this. And this is where we talk about. Imagine how many rubles that is right now. Infinity rubles. It's infinity rubles. Hold on. I forget. Bam. Got it. Thank you. (laughs) Suck it, Putin. Um, Yeah. So then this is, and this is how we were talking about soaping, right? So like, say you apply to be a dermatologist. It's mind bendingly competitive because you're going to make an ass ton of money. You get to treat patients and make them feel better, but it's uh, like a lot 
easier in terms of hours and their lifestyle is great. It's very competitive, competitive for that reason. They I've like, seen Dr. No. Pimple Popper. I, I know how glamorous that lifestyle can yeah, be. Yeah, she's a bajillionaire. Yeah, I mean, so you don't become a dermatologist. And then on Monday, you're like, I have to soap into another thing. Like You have backup choices in your mind, but you really wanted it. So after you shake off the pain for the next two, two to four hours and you cry in a stairwell... Then the next step for all of these aspiring doctors are like, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? Because the only way to get out of this bone-crushing debt is to be a doctor that I don't want to be. Yikes. That yeah. is... Man, there are a lot of gambles you got to take here to make sure this goes well so you're not, like, miserable the rest of your life. Yes, and even then, statistically, very likely to be miserable the rest of your life. Great. Well, Kim, I can <laughs> see why you wanted to become a doctor. <laughs> yeah, let's get into the episode then. Let's talk about the match program. Uh, and this is fun. There's, so the match, the, the match, Chris, was invented to improve the situation because it was becoming so predatory that Stephen F. Halstead invented the medical education system, essentially. started with surgery. He essentially founded, I believe, Johns Hopkins and what became Bellevue. I think those are the two hospitals he, like created he he's why we have such great doctors and nurses in america he was addicted to meth and then he almost died no, so he's addicted to cocaine no okay cocaine that's right it was some yeah cocaine cocaine, cocaine meth cocaine right. was well, medical, let's let's leave the distinction used. to the doctors yeah and heroin and then he later became they addicted fixed to heroin they fixed the cocaine thing with the heroin yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd say it's an upgrade problem. <laughs> yeah, he changed. He was one of the last great medical innovators in terms of changing things forever. So then he creates this residency thing and surgical stuff, and then they start competing because they're like, we need people to fill the spots. More than anything, all these medical schools, they want to have a residency program. They need to fill the spots. And then they realize we got to go after med students, and they start, they start going after them kids younger and younger and younger, all the way to the point where they would narrow down this window where you would have to accept an offer between like, 12 days, five days, two days, and then they had what were called exploding offers, which were, you have to decide at the end of this phone call. Are you kidding me? No, and then it got worse. They were going after people like, they were, it, was, it was wild. It was wild west. So basically it became that people were uh, accepting these job offers in places they didn't want to go, fields they didn't want to be in, things like that, their first year of medical school, and they were held like contractually to this. And uh, so the match system came about to try to prevent this from happening so the whole match system was made to make it fairer and to take away these predatory practices from programs okay so it sounds like that's a pretty significant improvement from what it was before with the yes. exploding yes. offer concept yes, yes. And it, it is okay. it's a big it's a big improvement and this is all happening during feminism in the 50s and, and equal rights and uh, voting rights and labor rights it was a very progressive moment for America, and this is happening alongside that. So this is what the idea is, right? And we already explained this. It's, it's, it's a, and this is where the math comes in. And for those of you guys that don't know, we'll get into it in a minute. Um, the addition or the tinkering of the algorithm in the 90s won two economists the Nobel Prize uh, for math. So the idea is that you want to make it higher, like a higher likelihood that it's going to be a good fit, but you also want to eliminate the incentive for the two parties, right? The medical school and the applicant to wish they were somewhere else or wish they had each other. That's the worst okay, case so, scenario. So we're about we're about cutting our losses here as much as we are pairing Correct. up ideal. Right. So um, and you can, we'll have the link in the show notes and everything. So this is a very simple way to think about it. It's called the stable marriage problem. And this is where we get into the actual game theory of this episode. The stable marriage problem is how do you get three guys and three girls if you're living in a straight cis gender, etc. How do you get three marital partners? who could all theoretically be with one another to find their most optimal situation. And the theory is that you're not trying to find the best situation for everybody because what if two people like one person the most? So what you're trying to avoid is say someone, girl one likes boy three the most and boy three likes girl one the most. What you're trying to avoid is a situation where they are married to other people and not each other. Okay, so does this stable marriage problem I, you, you can imagine how it would be expanded out into larger and larger networks where you have hundreds, thousands of applicants and hundreds and hundreds of potential matches. Does this only apply to binary matching situations where it's a one-to-one, -one, one person goes here and to, they go there to the exclusion of other places? Is, is it truly a, like a marriage thing? It has or to be stable. You, you, it has to be stable. For the, for the math to work, it has to be stable. Now you can imagine like in, in a limited space, like there's one for each person you get married or whatever, but the problem with this, and this is, we can get a Medicaid and funding for the government. The real problem on the American healthcare system, 
one of the big two or three problems is there are not enough residency spots in the world. So if there are a thousand in the United States, in the United, in the United States right? So like if you graduate med school, you're not guaranteed to be a practicing physician. And that's a crazy travesty. And that's why this that is, is wild, wild, right? So, cause we can't fund them. It's funded by, by Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare, Medi- Medicare. M- it, well, it's the same system. Medicare, yep. Medicaid. Um, probably that Obamacare. Um, we got we to get rid of that Obamacare and replace it with the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> Uh, uh, they're not getting the sound for that. No. The problem is, so they keep they keep opening up medical schools, which is providing with more medical students, and that's the thought is that that's going to address the major physician shortage. But the problem is that there are, you can open up so many medical you can open up as many medical schools as you want. You do have to get accreditation and things like that. But if you do not open an equal amount of residency spots, you are not going to address the the situation altogether. Now, my question about the residency spots is, are those with just like hospitals in any town USA, or are they affiliated with You have to be accredited. So uh, the ACGME, or the American College of uh, Graduate Medical Education, um, is... The, they are the governing board for all residency programs. Um, and this that came out of all of the Halstead training system too and the American Medical Association and things like that. Anyway, they govern it all residency training programs. There are certain rules and regulations they have to meet. There are certain standards you have to meet. You have to meet, uh, you have to have a board pass rate of so high. You have okay. to have... Um, certain curriculums, you have to have certain case numbers, things like that. And so all residencies that are accredited fit under this. And so the standard is, there is a, a level of standardization within training in residency. Now there's always going to be some level of experience or um, differences within that. Like I, my co-resident and I had very different exposures to thoracic, but I wanted to go into thoracic. So I chose to do more thoracic cases comparatively to he wanted to do colorectal. So he did more colorectal cases. Right, but you guys had a minimum you had to But we had stuff, a minimum yeah. that we had to meet and uh, a minimum requirement. Now, th- so thoracic is... is is that the one between the Precambrian and the Triassic? <laughs> exactly. The, uh, exactly. Uh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> you're, uh, you're welcome. Yeah. So, so the ACGME does that. Now you can apply. Every hospital can apply to it, but you have to meet these standards, and you have to have like site visits and things like that to get a residency spot. The thing that holds up residency spots is the funding. So funding does not come from the hospital within. It actually comes from the government, comes from Medicare, Medicaid. And so residency salaries and salaries for residents are dictated by that. And so the hospital, they're not necessarily, a ho- they're technically a hospital employee, but really they are being paid by the federal government. Mm-hmm. So they're like, they're almost like contracting to the hospital Correct. and the government is their employer. Right. right. So this creates actually an incentive and this is really predatory. It happens when hospitals close. This <laughs> happened with Hahnemann when Hahnemann yes. closed. Residents are worth money. So the hospital gets money for residents. So they actually, and they actually get more money from payouts um, from insurance companies and Medicare, Medicaid, because there is some level of extra spending in residency training programs and residency institutions, teaching institutions, because residents are going to order more tests. They're going to run some, there's going to be some level of, um, oversight and more usage of things, more time spent in the operating room, things like that, because residents are involved, there's teaching involved. So there is some agreement in a teaching institution in terms of payout from insurance and Medicare, Medicaid. So hospitals actually get an incentive to have residents there. Yeah. So okay. this this is really, it's intense because then it leads to people, makes them want residents a lot. So hospitals want residency spot, but there's only X amount. So you take... Take if and giveth, right? So why why are there only so many? I mean, understanding that you have to have standards and there have to be a, you know, certain metrics that uh, a hospital would have to meet to keep its residency program. Is there some kind of finite limit that the government has placed on the amount of residency? Well, Chris, spots I didn't know if you knew this, here? but every four years in this country in November, we line up and we vote for president and we vote for legislators, and they get elected by lowering taxes. Ah, yes. Uh, well, yes. I do have that, a solution. I've never dropped this. I thought about this about two weeks ago. You want to hear my solution? What? 
so everybody can be on the same page. We should not pay residents. And, and I, my argument, and I'm going to stump about this because it's going to sound crazy, but then I have a real argument. We should, it should be part of defense spending. That should does be, sound crazy. Let me tell you why. Because I think COVID, if nothing else, has exposed how medicine at the end of the day is a national security risk above all else. And nobody would argue for doing that. And, and interestingly, from a culture standpoint, uh, trainees, residents, med students, and uh, service members really dig each other. There's a really cool camaraderie vibe between between uh, those people and first responders. Come out of the defense budget and say, like, we're going to well, take this. A lot of us and go into good. the military. Yeah, I think uh, I'm telling you, I think I'm on to something. So, do you do you think that that camaraderie could ha- be some effect? side effect of the fact that we've been at war for the last 18 years <laughs> i mean yeah, like uh, kind of genuinely like if, yeah. if there wasn't like active war if we weren't if, 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 if we hadn't been actively occupying whole parts of different regions that are far far away from the country's borders and if, if there wasn't like such a, a an urgent need for that kind of like battlefield medicine do you think that kind of camaraderie would be as strong as it is today i don't know i mean i've always been in the system you know like i've been in I started medical school in 2011, so like I've been at this for 11 well, 9/11 years. Well, 9-11 was when you were, what, 13? Uh, probably somewhere around there. Yeah, so I mean, like that's essentially when, I mean, Gulf War was like a, you know, a hot second, but yeah, I mean, that's when it all started. Hmm. Wow. Right. So, I mean, I, I think I think you might be you might be onto something there. I know that where uh, Kim used to train, <laughs> it would send military service people because there were so many gunshot wounds, and then doctors and when they would go into the field and uh, over overseas, be like, well, they send us to Camden or Flint, Michigan, so that we can see some shit. And then we go to the Middle East and we we're, we're good. That makes that's, it. I that's loved, incredible. Like, I loved like the, working the, with the Sockums. I really did, and like I had the benefit of. I told you this story, right? Yeah. Sean, one of my really good friends from medical school is an Air Force uh, physician, and he was deployed, and he, um, during his deployment, he's like, hey, my SOCOM trained with you. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, he's like, you taught him how to put in a chest tube, and uh, you talked to him about, like, everything about medical school, or medicine and medical school, and he's like, your interaction really uh, inspired him. He wants to go to medical school when he's done with this. Ooh. And I was wow. like, well, holy that? <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Can we get a sound effect for that? <laughs> that's a dark doctor joke um, okay so i want to yeah so it, it's it's a, it's a whole money thing medicare medicaid pay for i think the defense budget should do it yeah it's, it's a national security risk pandemic uh bio warfare anyway i want to get back to the the match algorithm right so like we said if there are three girls and three guys marrying them makes a total sense when there are more applicants when there are spots when it's more competitive, because some some uh, applicants may only want be requested for seven or fewer interviews, and those people are at a, a much higher risk of not matching. If the more interviews you get, the better. So what they realized in the first iteration of this, after they tested it in Boston, of course, roll your eyes, um, with Harvard and MassGen and everybody, it worked. So then they found what ended up happening was that people could lie and, and collude, and, and mostly applicants could collude, and they found that by making it 50-50, it's not possible to be even. It benefits the programs. So what they did with the algorithm is they tinkered it in such a way so that it benefited the applicant. The applicant's preference is more important than the program's preference. And then they found, so like, hey, if Kim, let's just say theoretically, she wanted to match with, I don't know if I should name an actual institution. Let's go with whatever your uh, high school was. If you wanted to match with school A and they didn't want you, you would match with your second choice before they would match with their second choice, right? So that way, and they would go all the way down. It didn't punish applicants for filling up the list because theoretically going to your last choice is better than not matching. And so yes. when they did okay. this, these people, and I want to make sure I get this correct. I want to get my, my spectacles out here. Um, the people that did this, Lloyd Shapley and Alvin Roth won the Nobel Prize in economics. So this is called for any of the math nerds who are still with us. Uh, it's called stable allocations and it's a way to stabilize the amount of, of residency spots with the amount of applicants that you have. And by favoring the applicant, it really kind of made it a much fairer process. But as we've been going through this, they tinkered with it in 1995. And as we, as we go through this, we're finding that there are little holes and, and ways that people can kind of manipulate that. And Kim can talk about it and anybody can talk about it. We've got a listener that talked about it. People are discriminated against and kind of assumed because applicants want to match. 
So they discriminate who they apply for and programs want to match people into their programs. They don't want to have an empty spot. That would be a disaster. So they discriminate based on who they hear from and the way that they're discriminating is kind of fascinating. So basically, I mean, you can talk about this. I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever seen it actually happen. It's a theoretical thing, I think, but you know, programs will talk like, well, you know, based off of their CV, I don't think they're going to want to be with us. So maybe we'll drop them down on our list because I'd rather get someone that like showed a lot of interest and really wants to be here. So we'll pull them up on our list type of thing to, to kind of game the system a little bit to make it more likely that maybe this great candidate what did actually want to go to this program uh, but based off of their stuff, like a, a kind of more middle of the road or up and coming program, they were like, eh, they're, they're probably not going to want to come to us. They're going to want to go to the name institution. Um, so there is some of that that goes around. Now, it used to be that, especially for residency, um, that there used to be a lot of talking and kind of like, hey, if you met, you rank us number one, we'll rank you number one type of thing. And like, uh-huh. um, sneaky, sneaky. defeats the fucking purpose. Right. So that's actually now illegal, and there is not supposed to be any communication between the program directors and the applicants after the application. You can enter, like you can send a thank you note, but the program directors are not supposed to respond to it, and ty- that type of stuff. So there's not supposed to be interactions between the two pro- the two individuals involved in this interaction or this this algorithm outside of your in- your interview. Now, when you get to fellowship, it gets a little bit more, a little trickier there. I definitely think there are some uh, more of like, hey, we really like you. We really want you to come. We're going to take you outside the match type of thing. Um, But for residency, I think for the most part, people are pretty um, strict on that. And people do do that because you can lose your, your chance to participate in the match if they catch you. Oof. What, what's the difference between a resident and a fellow? I mean, why do all these rules and regulations apply to what residents can and can't do, but not so fellows? So that's a good question. So fellows are technically, so a fellow is a, a person who has completed their residency. So residency is the training program and is now doing a, a, a specialized training. That's a good. You bring us back to our first question, how to become a doctor, right? College, right. med school, residency, fellowship. Fellow. Fellowship so, of the ring, you have to go with eight companions and right. the journey never ends and you probably will die toward yeah. the end. I don't know if I'm a crickets. No. There it is. Crickets. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that was a little better than that. So, but, but so fellowship I will say is like, fellowship. Is that, that's like the last, that's like the final thing before you become like, yay, I have my wings. I can fly because I'm a doctor now. Kind of. You can do super fellowships, which are even further training. Masochism. Um, Masochism. That's the, I like to call that the uh, director's cut yeah. fellowship. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a difference between fellows and residents. So technically, like I'm in my fellowship for cardiothoracic surgery, right? But technically, I'm still a resident because I have an, I'm under an ACGME accredited program with a board afterwards. So if you have a board of uh, specifically afterwards, then you are technically still a resident. So yes, I've completed my residency, um, but I'm still technically a resident. Everyone just calls me a fellow because I've already done that. And that's kind of an old world now, uh, phrase in terms of the old system. Um, but like, for example, minimally invasive surgery is not an ACGME accredited fellowship, um, which means it is people who go in for extra training for minimally invasive to like get more robotic experience or things like that are true fellows because they're going on for specific training and are not a board ACGME board boarded program. Wow. Okay. So obviously the stakes are pretty high here. If you're an applicant looking to make a future for yourself, you, you have this idea in mind of what kind of medicine you want to practice for the rest of your life or what kind of career you want to break into it matters a lot where you get matched. And a lot of that seems to hinge on the results of an algorithm that in theory, they try to remove biases from like the bias of, you know, colluding behind the scenes. Like that introduces some artificial force on like the game theory mechanics of how this is supposed to work. So if you're an applicant, then knowing that you can't do that kind of communication, what, what do you have to do to maximize your possibility of, of getting a good match or at least one that's not going to like, derail your career hopes and dreams here so that's always the concern is there's nothing you can really do once this is in the system that's it it's up to the computer like this and the craziest part of this whole situation which if you 
uh, seen any of the other TikToks that Dr. Gluckenfecken does. Um, we submit our rank list about three weeks before match day. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> they just like, and you sub, you submit that to like what the algorithm input people or yeah, or? and the the programs do it too. So there's like a lock date and a lock time that you can no longer make changes to your rank list. So the other part is this. So did you did we talk about the rank list? No. So the rank list is so you go on all these interviews, right? And you pay all this money. You go on all these interviews, and you make a list of where you want to be, and you submit it. So like. For uh, example, say you want to go to like Timbuktu University and Georgia University and things like that. You literally line it up in a list of, of your preference. It's your list. And it's like your, it's your, you it's your final answer. In, wow. And the programs do the same thing. They take the list of all the applicants in the ranking that they would like them in their program and put it all in this computer system. Well, at the end of the computer system... You wait three weeks, you find out on Monday if you matched, and then on Friday at noon, Eastern Standard Time, the whole nation finds out where they go. And it is a shit show. <laughs> that is, that is crazy. You know, th this, this reminds me of a book I read years ago. It's called uh, Why We Make Mistakes by Joseph T. Hallinan. And the... The, the book goes through like several different like cognitive biases that people have. Like, for example, everybody thinks that uh, that San Diego and Los Angeles are west of Reno, Nevada, uh, because California is west of Reno or of, of Nevada. But it's actually not. That's not true. So th there's like these these biases that we have in our minds. And he spends a lot of time talking about why the airline industry is so good at like innovating and solving problems and minimizing risk and improving the customer experience. And the medical industry historically is not with like medical malpractice, but also just like plain old mistakes, like operating on the wrong leg and, and like all kinds of preventable problems. And one of the things he said in the book is basically the engineers have taken over like the airline industry. Like they've designed the planes and they've made all the machinery work and like all the automation like that that works really well, but they also have a, an objective way of ma managing things like how people board airplanes to maximize time and like how luggage gets distributed so that it always goes to the right place in the right time. It's all automated. He said that's not, that hasn't really been the case for doctors uh, because you know, people who are in an operating room like need to listen to the surgeon and like that's just how things go. But if that person makes a mistake, then the hierarchy prevents them from. Uh, from overriding and, and correcting a potential issue is that is that and it sounds like this this matching algorithm might be a way to try to adjust that or improve it or make it a little bit more optimum in a sense yeah yes and no so I know a little bit more about this than I can tell you because Dr. Kim is on call and she just is taking a call so she may or may not be back so um Dr. Kim thank you for joining us yeah. appreciate your service to this country and to this podcast <laughs> she may she may or may not be back so yeah the idea was that we can't nobody wants to be a doctor if these people are calling us in the 50s so they try to uh, fix that well in, in this way and I think and then it, it's a, it's unfortunate that Kim isn't here for this because I, I think for the most part in my experience the people that I, I interviewed professionally for talking to doctors for so many years the majority of them, I think, kind of come around on the idea of match eventually. It's just kind of scary and it's convoluted that it takes so long, but it does solve two major problems. The first major problem is that it stops the predatory bullshit that was happening in the 50s. And the second major problem that it solves is it, sto it solves um, nepotism, which is a huge problem. Like you go to Harvard, you go to Harvard, you go to Harvard, then you want to go be, oh, there she is. She's, she's, apparently it wasn't that big of a medical emergency. But you want to go to Harvard and Harvard wants you. That's bullshit. You got to take a look at the guy from Kansas and you got to take a look at the guy from Stanford because they, they want a shot too. It also is theoretically um, there to prevent racial and uh, sex biases. We're not 100% sure if it's accomplishing that at this point, but it's far better than just hiring practices for sure in, in that way. So like in terms of biases, it, is, it solves a lot of things. The weird biases that I mentioned earlier were things like geography and academic level. So say, for example, we got this uh, from a listener where say you're, you're academically doing very well and very well and throughout the whole system. And it's your dream to say, go to uh, be a, a, a resident of and perhaps an employee of the University of Iowa. Well, you went to Notre Dame undergrad, Duke Medical School, and you're in your residency at Stanford and you want to go to Iowa for fellowship or you want to go to residency at Iowa. They're like, I don't, they're not going to rank us high. We're not even going to interview them. Why would we waste our time with this person who went to Duke and Stanford? So like those kind and, of things are and happening. One other really good institution there in that list, but yeah, point taken. Vanderbilt. 
Oh my goodness! I'm not 100 percent sure. I can't. I can't possibly imagine. But yeah, no, it, you're you're right. And then in medicine, as I, I worked for Medscape for years, I could tell you, medicine is 15 years on average behind the rest of the popular zeitgeist in terms of solving problems. Like they're just now getting around to social conversations that the rest of the world had, like in 2008. <laughs> Well, it's good. I'm, I'm glad that the medical industry is leading the charge in this country, especially in the times that we're in yes, right now. Good. So it's thanks, great. Kim. <laughs> I will. So as much as like I've, you know, bashed a little bit of the medical system, I will say the match system, I think, works to the benefit to a lot of applicants. I know that there are a lot of applicants that have had rough uh, goes with it or they felt that they were gypped by the match system. I've had really good experiences with it. I think it sometimes sneakily matches you in places that you should be at that you didn't realize you needed to be at. Um, and so I highly recommend the match. I think it really does take away, it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. And I think that as there's more and more uh, regulations on the match in terms of doing these outside conversations and things like that, I think that it gets fairer and fairer, in all honesty. And I think that if you, if both parties play the rules, do go by the rules, it works in their benefit. And I think that, and they realize that, and they really have. And the the um, penalties for doing things outside of the match, especially for gender, for the initial residency match, are getting more and more harmful to the program, especially programs. Um, so it is really not good for programs to do things like really recruit outside the match um, because it's hmm. it's really harmful for them. And it's, it's meant to make the system work. It's meant to make the medical students get a residency, get training. It kind of reminds me of like Elon Musk with driving cars. If everyone follows the fucking rules, this will work perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 oh, I, I thank God that... Elon Musk is not in charge of the medical match system. I'm glad it was some Nobel Prize winners <laughs> figured this system out. Because, yeah, because I mean, you have you have a classic problem of game theory, right? You have a lot of players who are in this system, and they're all trying to achieve some objective, and some of the objectives overlap, and some of them are directly competing. So you have a lot of individual incentives and individual interests, and so using game theory, it sounds like these guys were able to develop a system wherein. For the most part, people's interests could be served without cutting huge losses, being grossly unfair, and made a really difficult, huge, like, everywhere system, because it's in all across the United States. Uh, they made it into something that's pretty much workable, if stressful. Yes, so there's one, uh, there's one curveball, and it is intense, and it's hard to deal with because it's just kind of weird. That curveball is your romantic relationships. So on one hand, socially, there's a lot of pressure to get engaged or get married pretty late in medical school because there is an opportunity to match as a couple. You can do that. But if you don't, you run the risk. So I, I've seen it with my eyes. I've seen people crying and stuff on match day where they're dating and they've been dating for two or three years and they ranked, you know, the closest programs regionally, you know, maybe a bunch in Philly and New York so they could be together. And one, the, the girl will open up an envelope and it's Arizona. And that, that's it. If you want to be a doctor, you're going to Arizona. It's like, so. Did but, we talk about that? So let's the, talk about the couples match, yeah. Well, let's talk about first that the the match system is contractually obligated. So when you enter into the match, you are basically signing a contract that you are going to that institution to work. Wow, you so it's not, it's not just an opportunity. It, it's like you, you participate in this you and want you want to be a doctor, you're results. going. Right. Yep. Now, there is like extenuating circumstances. You decide you don't want to go into, like you don't want to be a doctor, period. You have a medical emergency. You go out on maternity leave and things have to stop. You need to take and leave of absence for family issues, things like that. You can get out of it, but you cannot go to another, like you can't not go outside and try to get into another program. This is a contractual agreement, and that is where you are going. Wow. And okay. it is one spot. So you, you open that envelope, and it is a single institution, and that is it. Yeah, like you're going. So it's, okay. it, in that way, it's very similar to like the NFL or NBA draft. But if you're a couple and you're like, the, the, you, you can't, you're going to be like, this is going to fuck up our life, man. Like we're, like we're trying to get married or trying to start a family. You can go as a unit. It's not as, it's mathematically, it's not as good, but it is possible. Okay. Well, so there's some hope out there for the people who 
both believe in love and in medicine. <laughs> so you, to do a couple's match, and I, I didn't do that. Obviously, you're not in medicine. Um, and yeah, you, there's you, no you, way yes. that Nick that. could possibly ever make it into a field <laughs> as complex as medicine. My God, we're hosting a podcast right now, Kim. <sighs> Um, but I had mo many friends that did couples matching, um, and your odds are harder. So you have to take more um, interviews, and you have the option that if one of you doesn't match, does the other still match? And um, and basically, or if one of you doesn't match, both of you don't match. And so there, a lot of people will pick the like, well. If, they don't match. I'm still gonna match. Like, um, and you put it puts, in all that work, man. I mean. Yeah. Um, so it does, but it does. It leads to a lot of people. Most people do wind up getting into at least you know a two hour radius of each other. Um, so you can kind of pick somewhere in the middle that you can live together um, or live close to each other. Uh, but there are times where people will match across the country. And there are um, a ton, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, a lot of medical professionals have long-distance relationships. Yeah, um, at some point or another. Yeah. And throughout their training. So uh, a lot will start with long-distance, right out of residency. A lot will do fellowship apart. Um, I think fellowship is the most common common that people do because it's a shorter training period so it's anywhere from one year to three years versus three years to seven years um so but a lot of people will do um, long-term relationship or long-distance relationships in medicine and uh so the, the the algorithm that these guys pioneered there's not it's not possible to create an equilibrium so that means that it's entirely possible that both slots will go unfilled and people won't match like that's a very complicated situation which means that we just need to force uh the military to pay for it and the doctors and soldiers can be bros nick i think your ridiculous idea is sounding a little bit less ridiculous it's still ridiculous but a little less ridiculous i'm telling you well, and then it would relieve medicare and medicaid you know i'm just well, then there's the military match, which is outside of the, the regular match. Yeah, but so um, there's multiple scholarships for people who are in medicine, um, and you can do training either at a civilian hospital or at a military hospital. Usually you have to do some sort of military hospital at some point in training. The military match is months before the regular match. Um, so they'll find out, like, usually December, I think it is, when everyone yep. else finds out yep. uh, March. And it's, I mean, that's its own crazy process, but um, it's very, I mean, it's, it's a match day. And there are other, there are other things that do, like clinical specialties, like not outside of like medicine, you could be a clinical psychologist or like a school psychologist or whatever. And there are, that uh, people are starting to suspect that this might take a little bit bigger footing in just academia in general to prevent nepotism. And like, because academia is a disgusting cesspool of bullshit. And no. this would kind of, <laughs> this would kind of help out with that. But here's, so we're going to get out of here um, on some recommendations and some, um, you know, what we're drinking and whatnot. But there are some thinking, I, w I wanted to write an article or whatever. So I just asked Kim, Kim, is this better or worse than if you were drafted like in the N NFL or NBA? Like they're just like, you know, we have all your information and we've decided that <laughs> uh, with the 75th pick, we're going to take Dr. Kim at the University of Seattle, period. I think it's better. I think it gives an upper hand to the applicant a little bit more than the program. I think you actually have a, or you at least have the sense of a say in the program. Um, mm. Do you think Carson wants to be an Eagle if it was a match program? No, no, absolutely not. Well, it, it, well, I, Eli Manning has proved Nobody that. Ever should have been. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I will say the so the match day, and I'll touch a little bit on match day. I it's kind of a really fun jovial day even for like the people who have bad days like the the match day is fun it's a celebration everyone gets up early granted I I'm was in Philadelphia so like it's early in the morning everyone gets there around nine your families can come they you're they cannot necessarily be in the same room our like our families couldn't be in the same room when we opened it our uh envelope but um that was mostly because of fire safety issues <laughs> yeah so they'll, they'll, <laughs> but, they'll corral them and then they'll all open yeah. and they'll all run out so and every school does it a little bit differently but every yeah. school does um some sort of match day celebration my school everyone was in the major auditorium. We all like got there early. We all got our envelopes, which has the sheet of paper that shows says where you're going. You got to sit by your friends. They handed out champagne. We all got matching shirts. Like the school pays for it. And the um, champagne was free. Yeah. Oh, look at that! Perk yeah. of the biz. Wow. Um, and 
uh, they counted down and everyone opened their thing and there was a lot of screaming and yelling and, and tears of joy. And um, I was able to stand next to my best friend and we found out that we were both staying in Philadelphia and uh, it was the, it was, it was a great day. And then like we all went out, like a bunch of us went out to dinner and brunch and we day drank and we, they threw us a big party at the end of the days and it was uh, it's fun. it's like a big moment of I've made it through medical school. I'm it's actually bigger than graduation a by a lot. It's bigger Way than graduation. Bigger, yeah. Like I'm going to be a doctor, and this is what I'm going to be a doctor in, and this is where I'm going. And I get to move, or I don't get to move. I get to explore medicine, for, and it's the first time that you're like, I'm I'm going to be a doctor, and that's pretty a pretty cool experience. And I know that some other schools, like, they'll call up every person um, and read out loud to the whole group where they're going and what they matched in. And so, like, and their family can be on stage with them. And, like, it's kind of a cool experience. I think it's kind of a cool, neat day to, like. It's pretty cool. It's wild. And, like, that, so that if you're in D.C., awesome. Chris, if you, if, you keep your eyes, if you keep your eyes out and go out on, on Friday. Friday. Yeah, I imagine that George Washington probably has a bunch bigger medical school. But if you're out and about on Friday in that area, you'll see like a huge hub of blue. There will be balloons and maybe fireworks, and like it's gonna—it's a thing. Like it's a big thing. And Philly is the uh, biggest city in the Western Hemisphere in terms of number of trainees, both uh, PhDs, MDs, and DOs. Um, but uh, a lot of twenty percent of physicians do some sort of train within Philadelphia. Yeah, makes sense. I'll throw that out. It's a lot of scrub city. So, <laughs> but like New York, Boston, L.A., Houston, and if you're in D.C., you'll see it. It's a it's a fun day to go out, to be honest. And it, every local news station will cover it. It's a big deal. And even the people wow. who like didn't match and soaked into a program, like they're excited. You know, they're probably like, relieved too. It's been a long week for them. It's been and, a long week. Um, a lot of them, like we talked about, like oh, they didn't want to be that thing, but like. One of our very good friends didn't match into um, ENT, and he is now like loves his job as an interventional radiologist. And uh, he's like, actually, I probably would have done this from the get go if I realized this is what ah. I could have done. So that's and that's um, an interesting point too. A lot of encouragement this week online. So uh, medicine usually uses Twitter for good. I think COVID kind of ruined that. They were the last people that used it for good. Um, but a lot of people on medicine and Reddit and Twitter and TikTok were like. I didn't match and I've never been happier. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, yeah. you can totally do it. There are other opportunities. If you want to practice medicine, you can totally do it. So I, I always think about those people too. And, uh, like, there's ways to get into the programs you want. Like, if you, it, you again, like, everyone matched. I know people that had changed residencies completely. They started in one thing and were like, actually, I hate this. And just and left and reapplied for the match and, and got into a program they actually really wanted to do. Not even, like, a, a whole new specialty. And um, so people can do that. And it like everyone is just happy and jovial. And it's like the first time that you are – medical school is basically a joke after match day. Like everyone knows that you match. They don't care. You know that you're not going to show up to your clinicals like or you're going to want to leave early. Like everyone knows it. And it's your last chance to like – have fun before you have the responsibility of actually taking care of patients and like having lives in your hands. And so it's a really jovial weekend and uh, you'll see that in DC now that you like, once we've told you that you'll see it. Yes. What a, what, a, what a good time. Kim, mm. I do have one final medical question for you. Oh God. <laughs> Parks and Rec season five, episode five, Halloween surprise in an ill-timed, ill-fated prank to jump scare Tom. They actually jump scare Jerry, and he has a myocardial infarction accompanied by excessive release of gas from his <laughs> rear end. Is there such thing in the medical world as a fart attack? I I mean, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure Answer the question, Kim. I haven't seen it, but I you know, was talking about... Um, never mind, I'm not even going to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a yes. That sounds, that sounds like a yes. All right, well, we've got a bunch of sources on uh, for all of the math nerds out there. The show notes, like, rate, review, subscribe. You can watch our ugly mugs on YouTube. Next episode will be our one-year anniversary. We have named our listeners, Chris. We have come up with a name for the throng of people that follow Hit us around it. the interweb. That's right. Player three. Player three. Welcome, welcome to the game. Welcome to the game, player three. All right, Dr. Lennon, you did a good job. Say it. Fuck yourself. Fuck yourself. All right, great. Well, back and better than ever next time. <laughs>